Hi, this is Dana Gould, and you're listening to New Dissident Radio, where we've finally gotten the video out of audio video. Hello, everyone. This is Kelly Carlin, and of course, this is Waking from the American Dream. Just checking my levels here. Hey there, everyone. Uh, welcome to the uh, this Thursday. What is today? Is it August 18th? That's um, wrong. 
it's way too late in the year and it's way too late in the month uh, to be uh, okay. Uh, That was Life the Movie by The Clutter Family. You can find them online at, I believe, theclutterfamily.com. It's a bunch of uh, comedy writers, from what I understand, who are also musicians. Um, I don't know any of their names. I apologize. I'm really bad at that. And plus, I'm perimenopausal, so I have a big excuse. Um, works for me (laughs) uh, so I just wanted to start the show a little bit we're gonna I'm just gonna do a small show start part because I have two guests today and I want to get right into it but this fits right in with our theme today which is so earlier this week I was listening actually watching a video of a lecture by a professor from Pacifica Graduate Institute where I went and got my master's for depth psychology that's Jungian imaginal archetypal psychology. Yes, very useful in the real world. Uh, uh, Anyway, this gentleman, Dennis Slattery, he was one of my favorite professors. He taught us the uh, Dante's Inferno. We all read Dante's Inferno as a class, and we went through it section by section together, and it was a luscious communal experience, and the mythology of it and the psychology of it. uh, It's really a rite of passage. Um, The the whole commedia is... And anyway, there was a lecture that he was doing because he's writing a book on Joseph Campbell. And at Pacifica, there are Joseph Campbell's archives are there. That's where his archives are. That's one of the reasons I went there was so I could just go into the archives and and pretend like it was my church. And uh, so he was talking a lot about, of course, mythology and Joseph Campbell's take on it and and how the culture sees myth as this thing that equals lie. And yet myth is really the truth. Uh, it's the underlying truth beneath things. And he, he also talks a lot these days about personal mythology and what and helping people kind of discover their personal mythology, which is, uh, I think, important because it, um, it, it, it shows you what your worldview is, where you come from, what's important to you, what, what do you filter in and out. Uh, he said one great way to see your personal mythology is when you are reading a book and you're underlining it. What are you underlining? What's important to you? I just love that. Uh, and he's got a bunch of exercises. So I highly recommend going to this website. It's, um, oh, shit, I didn't write. Oh, yeah, no, there it is. Young Platform, young as in J-U-N-G, platform.com. And this website's going to start streaming live and having archived these lectures by famous depth psychologists and Jungian analysts and things like that. So uh, I highly recommend it. And for me, it was great because I, watching it, I'm like, oh, I'm such a scholar. You know, I really wish, I mean, I don't have to wish, but, uh, you know, part of me is an academic and part of me is an entertainer. And so it's, I was like, I was like taking notes, watching the lecture. I felt like I was back in the womb of, <laughs> of grad school. It was so lovely. Oh, it was nice to be in that warm little womb where all I had to do was write a paper every six weeks, which everyone thought was horrible. And I'm thinking, oh, no, 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 this is fabulous, people. You're going to be out in the real world in two years. Uh, so anyway, I have two guests today both of which are about to premiere their one-woman shows here in Los Angeles in September. And both are pretty much my bestest friends in the whole wide world. So it's really cool that we get to do this. Mm -hmm. Uh, All three of us are solo show artists, so we get to uh, talk a lot about that today. Uh, My first... The first guest on my left, I'll start on my left, <laughs> is Wendy Hammers. Uh, she and I met through another, uh, Wendy's a stand-up, and we met through another stand-up comedian, Claire Berger, at a Hanukkah party. We were eating latkes. 
<laughs> and uh, I had just, uh, or was just in the middle, I was almost graduated or still in getting grad school. Anyway, I'd already done my one woman show. And um, Claire said to me, oh my God, you have to meet Wendy Hammers. And then when I got out of grad school and I wanted to get back to personal essay writing and performing, I went straight to Wendy's class and her fabulous salon, which is called Tasty Words, which is really where I have um, honed my craft the last seven, eight years, which is really very cool. I can't believe it's that many years. I, it is. I know it is. And, uh, and that's in Santa Monica, Tasty Words. And, and Wendy also um, is, um, what else do you do? Well, you're a standard comedian, you're a comedic actress, and you teach solo show stuff, of course. Mm-hmm. And like I said, the producer of Tasty Words. And she's about to premiere her show, Ripe. Uh, on September 7th at the Santa Monica Playhouse. Yay. My guest on my right is my dear friend Rachel Hiller, who is an actress, a dancer, a writer, and soon to be a solo show artist. This is her first solo show premiere, and I love the title of her show. It's called Dancing on Hitler's Grave. So think about that, folks. You can figure out what it's about. (laughs) Uh, It's about the joy of dance and also about overcoming um, dance. deep suffering and tragedy as a family and as uh, people. Um, and it's, it's very exciting. So welcome both of you to my little show. Yay, Thank you. Or Thanks. not so little show. Fuck that. Welcome <laughs> you to my big giant, giant fucking show. show. My Your huge awesome show. show. <laughs> Humongous fucking show. Ginormous. <laughs> it's ginormous. Uh, so, Thanks for having us. This is yeah. so much fun to be here with the two of you. I know. This I is know. really funny. This is what we do basically a couple, every couple times a month. We hang out and talk and, you know. Now we just have big fuzzy mics in our faces. Yes, right. now we do. Now other people get to listen in. Let's see. Yeah. And other people are listening actually live right now. I can see Hi, that. hi people. Hi. <laughs> so I wanted to start with um, your influences. And, you know, obviously this is more of a conversation. It's not like an interview really. But mm-hmm. but like for me, um, I know uh, the first time, I mean, obviously my dad was a monologist, but I always saw him as a comedian first. And then I went and saw, I don't know if it was Karen Finley or Spalding Gray who I saw first, mm-hmm. but I saw Karen Finley when she was rubbing yams on her boobs and chocolate sauce and all that kind of stuff. And in her vagina, actually, was uh, her favorite place to put them. Uh, yeah, it wow. was, she was rubbing them all over her body, definitely. Yeah. And it changed my life. It was a point where I was very lost <laughs> as a human being. And she was on stage expressing pain and suffering, personal pain and suffering in a way that was so profound and just like entered your body. It was so mm-hmm. intense. And I thought to myself, wow, courageous, A. And mm-hmm. and I don't know if I'm up for the whole breast bearing, yam spreading part. <laughs> but, that sounds like fun right about but, now. Well, yeah, I mean, maybe with certain people, but not on a stage, <laughs> right? actually. But I thought to myself, I want to be brave enough to, to do that, to bear my soul, literally. And then I went and saw Spalding Gray, who was like all of his neuroses just spilled out on a stage and funny and tragic. So for me, th- that was the people that got me going, wow, I, I wonder maybe if I could do that. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I relate to that. I mean, Spalding was certainly that for me. Spalding was my teacher, as you know. Mm. I don't know if you know this, Rachel, mm-hmm. but he was my teacher at NYU. Uh, I taught a class called Fictionalizing the Self, and it was about how to take autobiographical material and make it stage worthy and hopefully not self indulgent, finding that balance with it. Well, talk about personal mythology. Wow. I mean, what yeah. a great title for a class. It was, it was an amazing class, and we did crazy things. We did a lot of this was at, through the auspices of NYU mm-hmm. back in my formative years, but that was my first solo show, was uh, done after I worked with Spalding. But we, we'd do things like he'd send 30 of us out onto the streets of New York, and we had to run around the block 
And then we had to come back and talk as quickly as we could into our tape recorders wow. and say everything that we saw, thought, felt, and start to create stories from there. Wow. Yeah. He was definitely a guy who was more comfortable um, observing and telling stories and being on stage than sadly, in the real life. In the real life, no question. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, but I, that was a huge influence. My first solo show came out as a result of that, and that was Sweatpants, uh, was my first solo show. <laughs> sweating and panting. <laughs> And, what, such a good and how audience. many solo shows have you done? This is my third. Wow. My third. So cool. Yeah, thank you. So Sweatpants and then Undressing New Jersey and Other States of Mind and now Ripe. Um, but they each had a gestation period of about 10 years in between each one. Yeah. It took that long to sort of get to the next piece of the story. Yeah, what, what's, yeah, what am I ready to tell now and right. what's changed enough that I'm ready to tell now? Right. Yeah, right. yeah, absolutely. I think my other big influence in terms of solo work was the fact that I really wanted to work and I didn't like the idea of waiting for the industry to tell me I had an opportunity to do that. Absolutely. You know, I mean, yep. I remember years ago talking to a woman named Diane Christensen who was a rocket and now she, she's an acting coach for kids here in LA. And I said, why'd you stop dancing and acting? She said, because I didn't want somebody else to tell me when it was my turn to play in the sandbox. <laughs> and with this work, you can really be at the helm of it. You can be the architect. You're in effect, especially initially, the writer, the creator, the producer, that you have to do it all. As yeah. I'm sure Rachel is learning as she's entering this <laughs> oh, very yeah. ridiculous world. So, but those yeah. are some of my earlier influences. Yeah. And what about you, Rach? Um, well, it's twofold. Um, one is my grandfather, who's uh, all my grandparents were Holocaust survivors, but my grandfather was the only one that really talked about it all the time. Mm. And for him, the telling of history was of the utmost importance uh-huh. that that's how you, you know, marked your place in the world mm-hmm. and, you know, told the truth, but, but it was, it was just really important to bear witness and to tell story and to keep the people that didn't have the chance to tell their stories. Alive. So tell it for them. Um, yeah. so, so there was a lot of that, but then also I had the opportunity to see Eric Bogosian. Oh yes. And he just mm. blew me away because he so embodied every character that he played and he was, you know, I, I grew up in New York city and he was a New Yorker and he was brash and he wasn't afraid to get in people's faces and say, fuck you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and things that, you know, I couldn't really do at home because on the flip side of, of my grandfather was, you know, wanting to keep, make them happy. Right. Because of what they had gone through. And, right. And, and to be the peacekeeper, of course. And the peacekeeper. Yeah. Um, so, but those two, and then the third part was actually not the stage, but I used to watch uh, I Love Lucy with my grandparents. Uh. And first of all, when I saw her, I was like, I can, I want to do that. <laughs> Yeah, totally. And to see my grandparents just la- roll in laughter, mm-hmm. which, you know, was an amazing thing. I was like, I want to do that and I want to make them do that. That's high. Yeah. The, for me, too. I mean, uh, uh, watching my mom and dad laugh at anything, you know, uh, and for me was always a great joy, especially when you were laughing together with them, because mm-hmm. there was this thing that you were you were seeing because, you know, comedy and, and things that make you laugh is such a gut thing, you know. And, and I'd certainly like, you know, I think about Lucille Ball and then I think, of course, about Lily Tomlin mm-hmm. for me. And totally. yeah. And then even seeing Whoopi's first show, yeah. which mm-hmm. I think was on HBO and thinking, wow. And I don't I don't do characters. I've only done myself on stage. And yet 
you know, growing up at home, I was doing Lily. I was doing, you know, Carol Burnett's characters. I was doing Lucy, you know, so, Mm -hmm. yeah. All of these people that you both mentioned, particularly Eric Bogosian and Lily Tomlin, and also for me, Bette Midler. Mm, um, Those were the people that I kind of got confidence or the freedom to go, well, what's my version of that? You know, those were original influences. And Eric Bogosian, I I thank you for reminding me, Rachel. He was the one, I mean, I saw all of his shows at the public in the 80s and 90s, but I just remember he was really the first solo show artist that I saw and that I was just like I can't even believe that this is this exists it's so spectacular <laughs> yeah yeah you know? yeah and he wasn't a, the thing about like what I fell in love with because I was you know a little kid when he first started coming coming out mm-hmm. but he just took up the whole space uh-huh. and he wasn't afraid of anything yes and that for me was like I mean it's been a process building to that point but that's what I really wanted I was like that felt good just sitting there watching that well and i think that's a great point because doing a solo show you have to believe that you're going to fill up the space because you're the only one on stage there and you it... are what about all those <laughs> other characters well there's that there's that. i think the real one i'm up there <laughs> well they are they absolutely are because they're keeping you company and they're yeah. feeding you in every moment but there's that thing about um you know, Rachel, you've been more of a, a character actress, and so you've always had other people's lines written for you by, you know, you've done some amazing plays, Tennessee Williams, people like that. I mean, great playwrights. Yeah. And <clears throat> and now it's your lines and your life. And yes, you play some characters from your life, which are fucking hysterical. Her yes. cousin Judy, when you come to see this play, you will just love, <sighs> fall in love with her cousin Judy. And of course, her mother too, you will fall in love with. Yeah, everybody will think they're hilarious. Let's see if her mother and her, her cousin think they're hilarious. <laughs> Can't well, wait. I warn them. <laughs> Not so, for nothing. You know. <laughs> so, and I know that's been a bit of a struggle for you, Rachel, taking this, you know, this, this step away from someone else's words and characters to really embodying what you've created and, and what's been created around you. I think, um, well, there's, uh, I think first of all, as an actor, you're so used to having the other people on the stage with you mm-hmm. to feed off of. So when you're rehearsing, you've got you already know you kind of know what's coming and going and right. And so this is a big, you know, unknown for me. Uh-huh. Is what the audience? I mean, I've been fortunate because once I started studying with Wendy and I, I've done a bunch of readings, I've gotten a little more comfortable with that. Yeah, but. Um, what she means is that I've tortured her and forced her to do her show. That's yes, tr- exactly. That's true. It is true. I was, I was, I was, uh, these two can attest. I was probably about to throw up on numerous occasions those first few essays that I read out loud. It's normal. Didn't you want to throw up in Montreal before you did your show? Uh, not quite, almost out of body. It was a little out of body though. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, I, I, um, and I also, I think it's just, uh, I love playing characters, so I think the part of playing characters of the show is is the part that I love. Mm-hmm. But the part where it's me, yeah, talking to the audience, that's been a real journey for me. Which is so funny for me that. because I'm completely the opposite. When mm-hmm. I have to do my dad or my mom or my grandpa, I get like, oh, especially my dad, because how do you do my dad? <laughs> um, but you just have to figure out your own version of these people. But I, that's when I, my body gets a little more tense, and I think. And that's when I really have to trust the leap. That's the leap for me. It's okay, just jump, just jump and be it and just do it and, and not, don't be in your head about it. And then me on stage, that's way easier for me. But but I think that, you know, part of that's just because it's in my DNA a little bit. I mean, that's what my dad the did. The comedy roots, yeah. no doubt. Yeah. And for me, my first show was um, some characters. My second show was 
14 characters. Mm-hmm. And oh, this, yes. A great one. And, and, and this show <laughs> is um, really not as many characters. It's all the, the, the big character in this show are the body parts and the dances that they tell. Yeah. So um, I wouldn't say it's more vulnerable, but it's a totally different. I definitely feel comfortable and safe hanging out in the characters. It's uh-huh. so much license and freedom to yeah. be these over the top people who just don't really care what people think and just speak their mind. <laughs> yes. You know, um, I love what Rachel said before about bearing witness. You said something about that. That's a big, it's a very big thing for Holocaust families that, that talk about it. A lot of, mm-hmm. a lot of people don't, a lot of, of them. I mean, I, I worked at the show foundation here for a couple of years, the Steven Spielberg project mm-hmm. and, and really got to, I grew up with a lot of survivors, not just my family. Survivors definitely find each other and stick together. Cause sure. I, because how do you understand something of that magnitude? You find other people that have kind of gone through that. It's like Dante's Inferno. You have to read it with a group when you, <laughs> to when get you, through it. When you mentioned that, I thought about that. Yeah. It's, and so, but um, it's just this idea that, you know, and that's what I love about these stories and when watching you guys is that, you know, this is we all have history and the only way i think you really understand history is by talking about what happened yeah. and telling telling the truth telling your you know your version of well absolutely i mean i you know i i think i do this work to understand myself mm-hmm. and my life and where i'm at and what and I'm, isn't that why we go to the theater absolutely mm-hmm. yes and and what am i ready to move beyond because in, in order to talk about it in a certain way on stage you have to let go of it on a certain level, too. Mm-hmm. Working on this present show of mine, A Carlin Home Companion, I've had to work through some of my dad shit. And it's it's all my stuff, you know, my, in my relationship with him. And, and yes, he played a part in some things, but ultimately it's my responsibility in my relationship with him. And there was some some resentment and some anger that I was holding on to. And I said to Paul Provenza, who's been directing and helping me with my show, I need to get right with this. I need to, to, to feel the anger and the resentment, but then I need to move to the other side because I don't want that telling the story. And so it's, it's very therapeutic to do this yeah. stuff because you do get to understand right. who you are in your relationship with this aspect of your story. So now having at least one big performance of the show behind you, do you feel that you did put something down or were able to kind of move past? Absolutely. For that part, yes. And now I'm stuck in this kind of second act place with myself, which I've just, it's, it's kind of like I just talk about my career resume points and it's like, it's deeper than that. And I haven't figured out what it is. So Mm -hmm. I know those are the layers this month that I'm going to be going under. And I'm excited about that because I have a storyline in my head about how I kept fucking up my opportunities in this business or as an artist and for what reasons. And it's, it's this personal mythology thing. It's, you know, it's Mm -hmm. like really like what's framing this version of the story and how, how is that not really helpful in the storytelling process? Because Mm. ultimately you want your story to be everyone's story, Mm -hmm. you know? So you have to find that kind of deeper truth in it so that everyone can relate to it. You want it to be everyone's story, but it's that quote I love from Jean-Luc Godard about that, which is the most specific is the most universal. So it, at the same time that you yes. want it to be people to appreciate it and be able to get inside your story and have an experience, if you write it broad or commercially or yes. sort of like to make the whole world happy, then you say nothing. Exactly. Yeah. And that's you know? what I mean by like peeling back these layers because there's something deeper about my relationship with my own career as an artist that I need to get to that I mm-hmm. haven't been able to sit with. Um, but I want to talk a little bit, just one at a time, a little bit about your show, Wendy. Um, and what is it about? And you know, how did you enter into this particular story? And great, I would love to share that with everybody. So, um, so the play is called Ripe, 
And funnily enough, I had the title about a decade before I had the show. I knew that I wanted to do a piece about ripe, about something becoming ready to arrive and um, mm-hmm. being juicy and wonderful and succulent and very peach like. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so I had this, and this was long before I gave birth to mm-hmm. my now almost 15 year old son. So wow. that, which is a certainly a kind of ripeness in itself, long before I met the love of my life, long before I really had arrived at, you know, having a loving relationship with myself in a lot of ways. But I knew that there was something about ripeness that, I, that interested me, just had that notion. Mm. And then it sort of was in the back of my head. And as I often tell my solo students, you know, good luck to you if you like start working on a solo show and think, yeah, I'm not going to work on that for a while. You, you, once oh, yeah. you start, you open that door. You're screwed. Yeah, it's totally. like totally screwed. It is like that. What's haunts that Pandora's you. box yes. of solo show world you cannot escape from? And then haunts, it haunts you. Haunts, right, haunts. you get in the car, you listen to the radio, and like, that song's going in my show. Oh my God, look at that piece so of velvet. True. That's the color of my costume. So it's That's an obsession. So it is. Yeah. There are worse obsessions, but this is one for sure. I know, it's great. But Ripe is, uh, okay, here's so basically, first of all, I want to announce that I, um, Today, 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 we are launching the new website for the play, mm-hmm. and it is simply called ripetheplay.com. So please check it out. But I mention it because on the website, you will see what I'm telling you now, which oh, is fabulous. three things that kind of led up to me doing this show, three events that happened in my life. One was a dear friend of mine, Judy Toll, passed away. Mm. The next one, uh, shortly thereafter, was 9-11 happened. Mm. And about a month later, I went through a divorce. Wow. And I realized that all those three losses were very connected and that out of, you know, it's the phoenix from the ashes, out of the loss and that kind of like, what do I do now? I had no choice but to reinvent myself Yeah, as a single mom with a young child at 40 who really didn't know what I was going to do. I mean, I'd, here I'd made my living traveling the country as a stand-up comic, and now I have a, you know, five-year-old, and I'm alone with him, and how am I going to, that, that's not going to work. Mm-hmm. And I had to reinvent creating my writing mm-hmm. business and creating uh, a whole other life for myself. So... So that's part of what Ripe's about. It's about reinvention. It's about life after 40. Um, one of the things that the play really addresses is the the joy and the celebration of getting older, which is so unsexy and so un-L.A., as we know. <laughs> in the play, I you tell get, my people age. People get older in L.A.? What? They don't like to talk about it. I think whisper. it's sexy. <laughs> Thank you. I think you're sexy. But I will tell you this. I, I mean, literally in the show, I say my age, which I'm very proud of, which is 50. Right. And I know the people listening think, man, she looks, she sounds young for she 50. Did, but she's very young. But um, I, I, my friend Jason, who's an actor, I told he saw, came to see the show, and he loved everything about it except when I said my name. He, I mean, my age. age. Yeah. He, he said he, he literally threw up a little bit in his mouth. <laughs> he just couldn't believe that I would say my age in Los Angeles. <laughs> and this idea, this notion that, you know, we get better and we learn something and then we're, there are elders in the community and we have something to share. That's in every part of the world except for the United States Hello. of America. Yes. Yeah. And it's insane to me. It's yeah. a little insane. So my show deals with celebration of age, celebration of loving yourself as you are, realizing the preciousness and fleetingness of life, having lost a friend, gone through a divorce, 9-11 happening, and really going, wow, that guy's right, that don't sweat the small stuff. But, but can I really say what your play is about? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's what Rachel's play is about, too. It's really about the joy of being alive, because yeah. watching you on stage, Aww. Wendy... Move your body. There's a lot of dance in Wendy's play. Moving your body and the way you do it and the way you embody the moments and the choreography and the movement 
it's it makes you get embodied as an audience member. You sit there and well, you get in your body. True. Yeah, what a it, lovely thing to say. It's it's true. Well, I, the process quite quite simply, I can tell you the process was I wrote forty pages, I read them in my living room to a bunch of friends, and then I promptly threw them out. I said that was nice, and now we're going to start this show, the real show, the real show, <laughs> which is the process. All writing is rewriting, right? Yep. I know that. But what I did was I said my body's got a lot to say. I've been here almost fifty years. I got a lot to say at the time when I started working on it, um, and I'm going to let the different parts of my body tell the stories mm. and I work with a spectacular wow. director named Karen Oshenbach who you both know and yes. love yes. and we have she was just the perfect collaborator on this process and project and basically we would just go in and improvise and I would say today my ass feels like talking <laughs> and, my ass, oh, and by the way and her ass does talk in the play it does. I just want to let you fantastic. know <laughs> so um, yeah so all of my body parts have something to say we've added more parts more parts are talking this oh, version so that's that's yeah that's, that's what great. I'm going to say about that's that. That's great. Well, thank you. And You're welcome. That's, yeah. And uh, it's, yeah. It's so, it's l- luscious. I said in my description on Facebook that we're going to have a luscious talk. Oh, and I want to hear one more thing about the title. luscious. Yeah. About the ripe. So um, I was thinking of like what would be a more sort of to the point and commercial title because people go, ripe's cool, but that's kind of artsy. Right. So here's my other two titles, ladies. Uh-huh. I want you to premiere on Kelly's show today. One is um, The Day I Realized My Body Was Perfect. Uh-huh. <laughs> nice. And the other one is um, My Big Fat Jewish Ass. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> My homage to Nia Vardala. Oh, that's so awesome. <laughs> My big fat Jewish ass. Which I love. I love that. I, I love really too. love that too. <laughs> That's hysterical. That's great. Oh, my gosh. So, Rachel, your show has dance in it, too, and dance in the title, obviously. Mm-hmm. And dance is a huge part of who you are and and even how this show kind of came together. Because I remember the first time you did an essay about your grandfather in dance and brought a lot of music into the essay and did a couple of performances of that, which blew everyone away when they saw it. I think that was the thing that really kind of was the impetus for you to start building the whole show. Yeah, that was the gel for me. I mean, I'd been telling stories and um, I, and gotten a good response. You know, st- the thing about culture clash and growing up with a family who has one world in like the shtetl and then one world very, you know, one part of their world is very modern. Well, and Queens sp- specifically mm-hmm. yeah, for you in, in, the, in the hip hop culture. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, but and I grew up in the when hip hop was exploding. And so, you know, balancing all that and, and all that was well and good. But I felt like uh, not that necessarily those stories had been told, but that wasn't really uh, the core of my story. Mm-hmm. And once I I brought the music in um, and realized that everyone in my family, how how we've how I learned to deal with something so dark and tragic that hung over our heads, yeah, was through dance. Every, uh. Everybody had a different relationship to, to dancing wow. and music and release. And and really, um, I think the dancing too just made me realize that what I really want to talk about um, right now in a world that's very angry mm. is, God, yes. is, um, is, and the thing that I learned the most from my grandfather was just cherishing life. Mm-hmm. And that really, I think for me to, to fight the good fight in this world is about bringing out the light because there's a lot of dark right now. And mm-hmm. so for me, that's how it all, you know, really started to come together. And um, and it's a lesson I have to learn over and over again because it's very easy for me to sit at home and yell at the TV <laughs> at the crazy people that want to take and, over. And they seem to be getting crazier every day. Oh and they're, they're getting not getting crazier. less crazy. No. They're getting more crazy. Getting more crazy. So no there's question. a lot to yell about. Yeah. and But, you know, I that just doesn't serve me well as a person and it doesn't really make me as effective in the world as going back to 
that core, you know, joy. And, and it really was a gift because, um, and, and one of the funny thing about listening to crazy angry people is I, I often <laughs> say, um, you know, my grandparents, they went through the lowest you can go as a human being. Truly, I mean, besides mm-hmm. losing their family, just personally what they had to physically go through. And, and then you hear these angry people that they're angry because they don't want to pay 1% of taxes. And you're just like, <laughs> yeah, really? Reality check. Like, yeah. And so I think, but I think, um, you know, and I learned also through all the work we've done sitting in meditation and Buddhism, like I, I think I realized too um, what really spurred me to start writing in the first place was 9-11 and then mm. my grandfather died six months later. Mm-hmm. And I realized that for me, 9-11 was that other shoe I'd been waiting for. That uh, I'd been sitting yes. with my breath held my whole life. Right. Wow. And that wasn't wow. that, you know, at the same time as that joy, there was that. Yeah. And in Buddhism, you know, when we started, ha- we started meeting for a meditation group, which we can talk yeah, about I, I used more. to lead that, yeah. Um, I learned that, yes, life is impermanent, but it does, I don't have to hold my breath. Right. I can breathe into that impermanence. Well, it's the whole bearing witness thing that you were talking about. I mean, certainly in in Buddhism, I mean, one of the things you do is you sit in witness and send compassion out to the world, no matter how insane the world looks. Yeah. I was just talking about it on Facebook today because I have a George Carlin fan page and an amazing group of people there. And, you know, a lot of people talk about my dad and how he talks about the freak show in America. And that when you're born in America, you get a ticket to the freak show. <laughs> then when you're born, you get a ticket to the freak show. When you're born in America, you get a front, front row seat. <laughs> and and what I'm adding to that now um, is that, yes, and I sit and I bear witness and I send compassion out. I, I, I detach a bit from the mm-hmm. freak show and I send compassion out. And... And part of that, you know, uh, is is a practice, is an actual practice to do because, you know, you get all of your triggers going. I mean, you can turn on the TV and I find when I watch a lot of TV or watch the Twitter feed a lot, my blood pressure goes up. Yeah. And I, like today, that once again, the stock market tanked 400 points. Oh, and it's like you could like get and twisted and all everything. And then it's like, OK, what's the big picture? Need to go big picture and all of that. So it, it is. It's it's um, I recently had that experience. I was working in Vegas and um, was working out in the gym and they had the TV on Fox, you know, 24 <laughs> seven. Mm-hmm. So I was doing what I called the Glenn Beck cardio workout <laughs> because <laughs> The more retarded he got, the faster I ran on that freaking treadmill. It's really only thing he's good for is getting me to sweat. But that's so you have that's, to come. That's, that's, that's awesome. I, I wonder if he, how he feels about the fact that he's actually fueling the he, cardio workout yes, of liberal He's Democrats. making progressives healthier. <laughs> oh, I love that he would hate that. Oh, that's a good tagline. Um, I know for me in writing my show, there's been parts of the show where – the writing is easier and there, I have like a joy in telling a particular story. And then there's like sections where I get to that's harder mm-hmm. to tell. Um, you know, what about for you guys? How's that been? Have you noticed like actual parts where you're like, oh, I love this. And the other parts you're like, oh, fuck, I have to do that part now. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, you know, it's funny. The things that I thought would be most difficult, mm-hmm. I, I think I tend to write a little bit like I let things mull around in my brain uh-huh. sometimes before I even put them on paper. And so, like, I thought it was going to be impossible to write my mom. Uh-huh. Um, because, you know, I love her, but we have a complicated relationship because she's a Jewish, a Jewish mother. mother. <laughs> <laughs> and I really sat down and 
just let her have her say, let uh, her live through me. And uh, so that. So you got out of the way. So I got out of the way and it became easier. But again, the hardest part for me is yeah. writing my parts that uh, I have to say. Yeah. That's what I've and been what do you And what do you think that's, what, what's the difficulty about for you? Um, interestingly enough, I, you know, as you guys have seen me on stage, I'm not shy on stage. Right. I think as a person with my own voice, mm. I t- can tend to be a little bit shy sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also just that... Um, Do you feel protective of your mother? Uh, well, not my mother. It's more like my words. I, I think it's it's the... Um, it's that trust, trusting yeah. other people to, mm-hmm. you know, to be able to just say what you have to say. So it's the, vulner- it it it's the vulnerability. It's, it's the vulnerability of saying of this it. is what I actually think or feel. Creating this work is a vulnerable process. There's no way around that. Yeah. If you want a show that has any guts and teeth to it. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And, um, and especially when you're talking about subjects that, you know, I mean, everybody has subjects that are controversial. Mm-hmm. I mean, so it seems these days like any little thing can be controversial if you say one wrong letter. In this the is world. true. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, it, it's a, it, and when you're telling stories that are so personal, yeah, I mean, not I just doing random characters, but like all of our work is so personal to yeah. us that it makes it even 10 times, 100 times more vulnerable. Yeah, I know. Like, I'm working right now. I mean, I haven't sat down and started reworking it, but I know one section I'm working on is the story I tell about being a kid and being in Hawaii with my parents. Mm-hmm. And my parents are on a lot of drugs and uh, it escalates. And there's this emotional moment that I want to have on stage because I know it's it's real because it really did happen. And it really sets up the the third act and what happens in the third act. Um, and... Uh, and it's interesting because I wrote it more raw to begin with. And then the, the latest version I did in Montreal, someone who'd seen an earlier version and a later version said to me, uh, you're backing away from it emotionally, mm-hmm. you know, and I had rewritten it to kind of skim it over. And one of the things I see I'm doing, and both of my parents are dead, is I'm taking care of my parents in that scene. Mm-hmm. I'm going, oh, you know what? It's n- It wasn't that intense for me. I'm okay. Because I tend to write that way anyway, this kind of like insightful kid kind of version of what's going on instead of no this was terrifying for me and if it was terrifying for me it's because my parents weren't doing their job correctly and you've got an added level of that because your father is a public figure yeah. so it's not just you're taking care of your daddy but you're taking care of everybody's daddy and his reputation his idea of him yeah. but yeah. you know I didn't think we were going to get through a whole hour conversation about the subject of writing and what's challenging and what, what what's appropriate and what's not without quoting my favorite Annie Lamott when she says if people didn't want <laughs> us to write about them they shouldn't have behaved so badly <laughs> It's, it's so true. It's so true. And it's a, that gives me freedom yeah. to really go, okay, I'm not really making this shit up, people. I'm just reporting <laughs> I'm the reporting news. it, yeah. I'm just a witness. Like we say, back to that witness, their witness idea. And I'm just saying, this is what happened. This yeah. is my take, the view from my chair, and here it is. I'm just putting it out there. Well, and that, that helps me when I'm writing, too. Um, you know, uh, right after my dad died, and I was describing this to a friend of mine who's like a, a coach t- for me, and uh, I said... I feel like I'm in the desert without a map and I don't know what to do. And he said, your whole job right now is just to be in the desert without a map. And then later just report back to us what it was Mm -hmm. like being in the desert without a map. That's great. And so now when I'm approaching these more difficult sections, even the second act section that I know I kind of really have to dig deeper in, it's like, Kelly, just report what it was like to be 30 years old and completely longing to be a creative person and express yourself and having no idea how to do that, Mm -hmm. you know, and having feel like I had a second chance because I just got out of this crazy marriage and I'm I'm done with the cocaine and all of that. 
and I've graduated from UCLA, but that that place of such longing to express myself and yet having no idea if I'll ever get a chance to do it, you know. And the, your willingness to be that vulnerable and to share that in the form of a story mm-hmm. gives the audience such a gift because truth is we're all you. We Absolutely. all have that. Yeah. The not we're knowing all longing. And, yeah. And wanting to figure it out and yeah. not really remembering that the only way around is through, that you actually have to walk through your life and go through these processes to get to those ahas and answers. And then you get to report back, like you say. And, yeah. and the truth is that I'm I'm realizing this in, in watching you guys and in doing the work is that um, it's. It's a gift to other people because most people don't want to do the work. Yeah. They're afraid to. Right. Or, you know, I mean, they're just afraid to, like, open that door. Yeah. Or that's not their gift. Their gift is to buy a ticket and sit in the theater and watch the curtain go up and have an experience and grow by way of watching our kind of artist's work. Yeah. That's artist's job. I I always think about it like one little switch switching somewhere inside of them that then makes the the, the plane steer just a little differently in their lives. And then Mm -hmm. they can, you know, have more of their life or expand. I mean, that's that's always my hope, you know. And and that's really one of the gifts of doing this kind of work. And you've seen it already and you're going to see it too. And I'm excited for you, Rachel, with this part of the process. But people that you don't know come up to you and say your work has changed my life absolutely I actually have a different view of my own life from watching your story yeah it's it, exciting yeah. yeah and you and you can't worry about that if that's the cool that's the fascinating thing about it like you that's not in your head at all when you're out there because you're just up there to tell your story right and uh and then when people come up and say that to you you just go wow you know and, and it's like in some way you feel like we all matter to each other, you know, because we do. And in our own ways, we, we all matter to each other because we all impact each other. And this is the way I get to impact people on the planet. It's yeah. very cool. Well, and that's what I, and that's really what I love going back to influence. That's really what I loved always about sitting in a theater is that immediate, like in your gut, uh, connection with this story and with the person on the stage yeah. and you know whether you were laughing hysterically or like sitting in and watching that person weep for whatever was happening in the moment like you can't get better than that in a human experience and and I think that's part of of this whole idea of we bear witness to each other to our highs and lows and you know absolutely and you never know what's going to resonate with people um Mm -hmm. and it's this kind of goes back to the whole mythology thing and kind of the archetypes that we're all embodying and all these characters and these storylines within us are all these great archetypal struggles that humans have been struggling with since the beginning that of humans having self-awareness and mm-hmm. started actually telling oral stories to each other. Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember to going to see um, Phantom of the Opera, the original cast, and they came out to L.A. here. And at the end of it, I have no idea why, but I was weeping so hard. I had to run out of the theater and I was sobbing on a sidewalk in downtown L.A. To this day, I still can't tell you what made me weep that way. You but weren't there... scared of the guy with the mask? <laughs> no, no, it wasn't. So. Yeah, no. It was a big girl. I but, it was some, was but it was something, some theme, some archetypal something that triggered mm-hmm. deep in my unconscious that was a huge release for me. And you, you just never know how this stuff's yeah. going to resonate with people. That is true. I have that reaction a lot with music. Yes. It's so deeply rooted. There's something that is bringing up something that's so primal and so mythic, yeah. really, that you don't have to put a label on it, but you do know that your life is richer and more authentic as a result of having experienced that have been around that kind of art. And just to add you know? quickly on that, that's what I love about the expression of the body and dance, because sometimes 
you just can't describe it other than just moving a finger or your neck or your whatever it is yep that it it just happens right there no it's so true this it's like the flip side of you know say is worth what is it the expression about uh, worth a thousand words uh, um you know uh, what do you call it? Uh, like a you know uh, an expression. It's 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 well, you can see it in one yeah. movement and you get the whole story. Absolutely, it's bigger than words. Yeah, in a way. I, and that's you know it's what I've been trusting in this process this time. You know because Prevenz has been helping with me with the performance, and you know I tend to overwrite and and want to want to explain everything to the audience, and he's been like you know I want you to go and cut out all the editorializing and all the explaining. A trust the audience is going to get it and get that your performance. That just lifting your eyebrow like you do in this sentence, you know, not rehearsed, but just who you are, says a thousand words, yeah, Kelly. sort of back to the basic solo show and really acting. But solo show 101 is show us, don't tell us. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, let's take us through the story. Yeah. You know, I had um, with Mark Travis, who had directed A Bronx Tale and a bunch of lots of other incredible shows. And he had directed Undressed in New Jersey, which was my second show. And he was always about that. He's like, write it fat, write the whole story. Yep. And then when you put it on its feet... You need like forty percent of those words yeah. because you're actually going to take us there. Yeah, you know, especially if you do characters. That yeah. that, that really well, is. Well, and that. that's what uh, my dire- Winnie, my director's been doing. She's just like out. <laughs> yeah, Karen, <laughs> yeah. don't need Sh- it. Yeah, just show it. Yeah, you know, it's like yeah. it, she, if I start to talk too long and she feels like I'm talking at her, she's like, "Stop talking!" At me. <laughs> and mine is because I'm also a stand-up in addition to being an actor. Yes. I have, you know, I go into like you know comedy land, and then I I try to convince Karen Aschenbach, my director, to be Shecky Aschenbach. <laughs> try to get her into Sheckyville, but she's not interested in going there. So I was always like fighting for jokes. And she's like, no, 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 we don't need that joke. That's so great. Um, That's believe it or not, we're running out of time. Oh my That's God. so wrong. I know, isn't it? It's horrible. I, I really, so I, I keep... Did you tell the people this is bra-free radio today? Oh, I didn't. I forgot to tell you that because if the chicks are here, I'm not wearing a bra. It's so lovely. Neither am I. So I'm going to leave you all with that image. <laughs> Sorry I had to bring that up. Uh, so I want to thank you guys so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. And we didn't even get to the 100-word bio, which is like uh, one of my favorite things. But we'll do that another day. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, maybe we'll just have a whole solo show. You two can write a solo show session <laughs> on Waking from the American Dream. Great. That sounds great. But yeah, one yeah. of the things I wanted to mention and I'm asking my fans to do today for me is a bit of a favor. Um, I'm on a little mission. And I really, because of my, my ego needs this, I want to get on the new and noteworthy Apple iTunes page for podcasts. Okay. Ooh, and sounds the, like a good plan. And the way to do that is to get people, a lot of people to review your podcast for you and to rate it for you. So if you listen to my uh, podcast through iTunes, or if you're about to subscribe today through iTunes, if you would go and get on the page where it's the whole full description of my show and all the episodes are listed, and then you scroll down and you'll see other people's reviews and you'll see that it's I think it's four or five stars, and they're all five stars so far. Um, nice. But it, it'll say something like "write a review," and I just even if it's just a few words, the more it's just it's a numbers game this day. I really want to step this podcast up. I want to bring it to more people. I want to bring advertisers in. The way in order to do that is to have some numbers because I, you know, I mean, I, I need to buy Trader Joe's food just like everyone else on the planet. <laughs> and people should be hearing your show anyway because it's just fabulous. It's wonderful. Uh, thank you. Not thank just because so. we're on it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but that helps. Yeah. All the other weeks were good too. We're, we're, we're from 
from the East Coast. We don't blow smoke up anyone. That's this right. Is not very, for nothing. This is very <laughs> true, nothing, actually. But. And the other thing, too, is that um, I play royalty-free music here. So if you know of an independent musician, uh, you kind of hear the kind of stuff I play. You know my taste. I'm looking for more music. So please email me at wfadradio at gmail.com and send me some mp3s we'll talk if i like it i'll send you a release i'll put you on my playlist i'll introduce you to the thousands of people who listen to my show and uh and that's it and oh you know what i don't even remember who's on my show next week because like i said i'm perimenopausal and i didn't write (laughs) it down and if i don't write it down i don't know anything these days so, I understand. Uh, yes. We have to give the websites for our shows. Oh, our yes, agents yes, yes. will be very oh, upset thank you. with yes. us. So, Wendy, your website is? So, it's, it's brand new today. It's ripetheplay.com. Fantastic. Ripetheplay.com. If you can't remember that, wendyhammers.com will also work. It'll link you there. Yeah, and Miss Rachel. And mine is brand new website. It's uh, www.rachelhiller.com. And Rachel is R-A-C-H-E-L. And it's H-I-L-L-E-R. They're both doing their shows this month, uh, September, sorry, starting September at the Santa Monica Playhouse of fabulous little theater where I did my my show one night uh, and uh, come on down I'm going to uh, both shows the opening week uh, the 7th and the 8th Great. so I'll be hanging out in Santa Monica right. a lot those nights so come join <laughs> us and I'm going to uh, play a little song here called Shake That Thing in honor of dancing and it's by the Tin Pan Band and you know you just go to tinpanband.com to find them and you'll get a few minutes of it and then uh, we're going to go into the next show you guys have a great week um, I wish I could remember who's on next week. Oh, well, what the fuck? You'll know. Find me on Facebook and Twitter. You know I'll blob about it. All right. I love you all so much. And uh, be healthy, be wise, and be silly. Just shake that thing all night long. Oh, then you do that thing. 